Jesus was trudging towards Jerusalem, he knew this would be the last time he would walk this road in this life anyway. His mind was occupied with thoughts of all that was about to happen. The crowds would be enthusiastic. The disciples would be excited. The scribes and Pharisees would see him put to death. He knew he must speak privately and intensely to the eleven. That meant he would have to expose Judas to let him know he knew his evil heart. Then he would have the eleven alone, those he loved so deeply. He could pour out his heart and speak of the dark things that were about to happen. It was hard to see the hope beyond. The dark future was heavy on his mind. He would be crucified. And that was just the physical manifestation of the spiritual. He would take on all the sin of all time, of all the world. It made him shudder to think of it. He was God, but he was also man. How could a man bear such a burden? The road they walked made its way through the little town of Bethany. He knew that here the pace would surge forward. From here there would be no stopping. It would be constant all the way. Through the cheering, through the questioning, through the trial, through the torture, through death, until he was once again with the Father. As they walked into Bethany, people were chattering, excited because they knew their king was here. He too could be excited about the glory that would be once he was through. The people, even his disciples, did not see the valley through which they must all travel before they could reach the heights beyond. And here came Simon. His gratefulness to his Lord was great as was his wealth, and so would be the party he would throw that Jesus would have to endure. So much celebration when so much darkness was yet to be endured Celebration of what was not even going to happen. They thought the kingdom was here, that it would be like the days of Solomon, that Israel would rule the world once again. They just could not see the spiritual. Not yet, anyway. They couldn't even see the darkness that would soon come. And now they were all being herded into Simon's expansive courtyard. All the great men of the area were reclined around the special low feast table. Jesus smiled when he saw Lazarus, not only because he loved his friend that he had so recently raised from the dead, but because he wondered if Simon would even have remembered to invite him if Lazarus was not now the object of everyone's curiosity. As Jesus sank down on the thick carpet at the place of honor, he leaned his left arm into the huge table, just as all the men around it were, men who were acting like conquering heroes. His disciples were spread out on either side, Simon was directly across from him with the famous Lazarus strategically placed right next to him. None of them knew that in a space of time that could easily be given in hours, they would all abandon him. They wouldn't look anything like heroes celebrating a victory then. As the women began to serve, another smile eased its way into Jesus' lips. Martha was among them. She too was smiling as she looked at Jesus perfectly within her element, serving He knew quite well for her Lord, but she didn't know either. He had said the words over and over, but they all seemed to think he was just telling parables or using hyperbole. The truth of his horrible death they could not comprehend. 
As he reclined against the table, he could just hear the soft sound of light feet drawing near behind him. Some of the men were looking past him and frowning that anyone should so approach such a renowned guest. But it was not enough to stop her. Jesus did not need to turn around. He heard the sound of the seal break. Then the pungent aroma filled the room. The fragrance was so strong it was almost overwhelming. Everyone now stopped speaking and looked around to find its source. Jesus felt it as she poured the aromic nectar over his head. He barely heard the gasps of people as they witnessed this extravagant excess. One or two drops would have sufficed in any other occasion. But this was not any other occasion. Soon, very soon, blood would join this sweet syrup. It was so good to have this ointment flow down and drip from his hair onto his shoulders before before the time so very soon would blood would be dripping down. And Mary kept pouring. But even that was not enough for one who had so much love to express. The servants had washed his feet when he came in, and at the time Jesus had wondered if that would be the last time they would be washed before the Roman soldiers beat nails into them. But no, she poured her love out even on his feet. Soap and water was not enough for her. She coated his feet with this elixir and through her tears began to wipe them with her hair. Jesus closed his eyes and slowly breathed in the incredible fragrance, the fragrance of extravagant love poured out on him. Today is a good day to talk about love. (laughs) Not this time an expression of romantic love, about the romantic expression of love, but an expression that's eternal. Deeper, purer, consuming beyond that which most people who celebrate Valentine's Day ever dream. I've made a poor attempt to see this expression of love from Jesus' point of view. Now I'd like us to try to see see this where where I actually have a shot at accuracy. (laughs) Through the eyes of some other mere humans. Mary, of course, but also a few others. Three of the four who wrote the history of Jesus' life on earth were driven by the Holy Spirit to record this story. Each of them from their own unique perspective. Mary's gift deeply touched Jesus. But what are the other people in this beautiful and amazing and true story? Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. This was not an act that you could miss. <laughs> okay, Everybody noticed it. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Hey, that's a lot of dough. <laughs> what a poor use of it. John pointed us to the source of this statement. But Matthew, sitting probably further out, didn't catch that part. He just saw what happened next. And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, why this waste? And criticism spreads. Okay, And hey, it's true, right? She wasted. Criticism also broadens wherever sinful men are involved. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was the ointment wasted like that? Wasted. Now, forget the good that could have been done. Think about the good that was done. They don't. And then they attack and they scolded her. (laughs) 
a person should be careful when they think they know all about what's right. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. They were so sure they understood, but they missed the main point. And now they have to suffer the rebuke of Jesus. But it is better for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the song of fools. What they forgot was that sometimes you have to choose between good things to do. Jesus said, Mary chose well, for you will always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them, but you will not always have me. Sure, there are good things you can do, but they may very well keep you from doing the good thing God wants you to do. And having the Son of God in human form right there, it should have held their complete attention. It did Mary. But what of her antagonist? Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, Leave her alone, so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. Judas wanted to look good. (laughs) Hey, what about the poor? But his real motivation, John let us know, was old-fashioned greed. It's widely believed that Judas thought Jesus would be a great military leader and that he, Judas, would gain power and thus wealth as one of Jesus' captains. Imagine a man intent on getting fame, glory, power, and mostly the wealth that goes with it, and he is publicly rebuked in front of some of the most important people in Jerusalem. Must have stung him considerably, don't you think? And I'm sure it made him question his affiliation with Jesus. Clearly, this was not a man bent on power. Power brokers don't come to the defense of helpless, outnumbered women. So how could he help Judas get power? I often wonder, is this the very moment when Judas begins to plot his betrayal of Jesus? I think it might be. But let's leave those dark thoughts behind. There was another person sitting there who must have been very moved by this event. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. There's one phrase of Jesus that must have arrested the thoughts of Lazarus. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. Lazarus had been buried. And he had been raised by this man, this man now talking about his own burial. Did he know what would befall Jesus? All that he would suffer Did he understand he would die? Did he grasp that Jesus would rise from the dead? Scripture is completely silent. (laughs) So, since we can't know, let's move on. What of the person who poured out this extravagant love? And while he was at Bethany, in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. 
very costly. From Judas' twisted statement, we do nevertheless gather some useful information. He said it could have been sold for 300 denarii. That's a full year's wages. Let's say $30,000 just for... $30,000 of perfume. And she used every bit of it. When's the last time you poured out $30,000 just to express your love? (laughs) Yeah, me either. (laughs) Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Again, this was not an act you could hide. Everybody knew what she did. And she got to know how deeply Jesus cared. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. But why did she do it? Okay, we know she loved him, but why this particular expression of her devotion? What was her motivation? Jesus said to them, why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. In pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. Did Mary know? Did she know her actions were for his burial in specific? Did she understand when not one of those men seemed to? When his own disciples didn't? Listen to a part of that conversation that only Mark recorded. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. She knew. She knew he would die for her sins. And she knew there was nothing she could do about it. But she did what she could. She poured out her love in this extravagant way. She had known, I think, since Lazarus, Jesus lays Lazarus, her brother, from the dead. And she had thought deeply of Jesus' death ever since. Solomon could have had her in mind when he wrote this nearly a millennia earlier. A good name is better than precious ointment and the day of death than the day of birth. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of fasting. Feasting, sorry. For this is the end of all mankind and the living will lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter. For by sadness of face, the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning. But the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. Everybody around Jesus was celebrating. (laughs) Celebrating what wasn't going to happen. Well, not for at least 2,000 years. (laughs) But Mary was wise and knew it wasn't time for mirth. She knew they'd all soon be in the house of mourning. So she did her best to prepare for it. We can't, of course, be sure, but maybe she even understood why he would die. Luke records the story of the sinful woman who washed Jesus' feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. She even kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment, all because she had been forgiven much. This had happened sometime earlier. So probably Mary heard about it and she loved the expression so much that she took it and she made it her own. Which makes us wonder, was Mary demonstrating she recognized her own sinful nature? I think so. But that other woman was saved out of sin while Mary was saved from sin. So one could say, in a sense, Mary's motive was greater. Mary's motivation was simply love. She knows Jesus loves her and she had absorbed his love into her heart. For those who truly love, 
Love is a part of their nature. Pure love is demonstrated in action. It's not the action, of course. She acted because she loved. We love because we choose to love. We choose to love because it is in our nature. Our nature is capable of love because He first loved us. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. We love because He first loved us. Not only could we not love until He loved us, but, Paul says, it was worse even than that. While we were enemies... We were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. Mary got it. I'm convinced. (laughs) But going back to her particular extravagant expression of love, how important was it? Jesus said, Truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Mary's reward. Interestingly, the very fame and power, if she had wanted it, that Judas lusted after. That she cared not for such trivial things. She did care about her Lord, and I'm sure other people. And how did Mary's actions affect other people? Follow through this thought with me. About the time of Mary's extravagant act, the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and many went up from the country to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. They were looking for Jesus and saying to one another as they stood in the temple, what do you think, that he will not come to the feast at all? The people were looking for Jesus. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, so they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And if anyone was anywhere near Jesus, they could detect the fragrance of the extravagant love that Mary poured out on Jesus. I mean, they must have wondered about it. When the priests forced Jesus into that mock trial and then spit in his face, they must have been close enough to smell it. When Jesus stood before the Roman governor, Did he wrinkle his brow wondering at that pungent aroma? Where did this come from? And not long after that, Pilate released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder for whom they had asked. But he delivered Jesus over to their will. And there followed him a great multitude of people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. Could the multitude by whom he passed still detect that fragrance? When the soldiers cast lots for his robe, did they notice it? Some of that ointment must have soaked into that garment. When his mother drew near the cross as her son hung dying, did the aroma of Mary's love reach her senses? And did it bring a promise of future hope? When Jesus breathed his last, did he breathe in once more that fragrance of Mary's extravagant love? What about us? Well, if we were there, how would we respond to Mary's actions? Would we get upset by the waste? Would we join in and berate her for caring in such an excessively extravagant way? 
If we lined the road to Golgotha as he carried his cross past us on the way to his death and we caught the scent of this extravagant love, what would we think? Would we even recognize how much someone loved him or would we figure this beautiful thing must have been done to someone else? How strong would our love be? Could we pour out all that we have in love for the one who made us? For the one who died for us? The one he will give us eternal life? Could we choose the right thing to do? The right good to do? Can we choose the right thing to do? Well, guess we'll never know. Jesus doesn't walk this earth like he did then, does he? But actually, there is a way. (laughs) How? There is one and only one way we can express physical, tangible love toward Jesus like Mary did. Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me, Jesus said. When we pour our love out on those made in his image, we pour our love out on him. Would we be praised by Jesus like Mary? How extravagant is our love? That's the question. Let's pray. Father, what an amazing example. A woman who loved you beyond uh, anyone else there. She poured her wealth out. She poured her value out. She poured herself out through that ointment knowing what was going on. She seems alone to have grasped the words of Jesus and their importance and their meaning. How much do we grasp it? And then, are we really able to pour out our love on those that you love? Knowing that that is pouring our love out on you, Jesus said it clearly. Can we really do this? Difficult task, Lord. We will need your help. We ask that you allow us to allow your Spirit to fill us. To be filled of him. To be filled with him. To be so involved in living spiritually that we do live for you. Thank you, Father, for what you do for us. Thank you for this great example. Jesus' name we pray. Amen.